When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get started on this week's episode of the Shamrock Live. I'm Pete Sampson back in the home office. It's Friday, October 27th, day before Notre Dame Pittsburgh. Uh, Irish back in action after the week off. If you are new to the Shamrock Live, our regular Friday, at least not during a bye week, sports talk radio, but with for normal people here on The Athletic, welcome. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, thanks for being back. Um, as always, you can hop in the queue and sort of, I will call you to the stage. You can ask a question live on the show. Uh, makes it a little bit more interactive. Or you can post uh, a question in the chat if you're uh, shy or maybe in a loud spot um, that you can't ask a question. But um, we can talk about whatever you want today. We can talk about today's mailbag up on The Athletic. We can talk about quarterback recruiting. We can talk about what the last four weeks of the season holds for Notre Dame football. We can talk bowl destinations. I actually have a call set up for this afternoon with the president of the Peach Bowl to figure out just how likely it is Notre Dame could end up there and what the selection process is. Um, but there's a lot to talk about. We got our first question in the queue. It's Andrew G. Andrew G., I'm calling you to the stage, and you are live here on the Shamrock. Well, hey, uh, my question was that uh, Freeman sort of had an interesting press conference yesterday where I think he heavily implied they're going to take, a, or at least very strongly look at taking a, another transfer quarterback. And my question for you is, don't you think this was fairly predictable um, in that trending toward a contract extension with a large buyout? Maybe he would roll with a guy like Kenny Minchie or Angeli or Carr, but without a contract extension, his seat is uh, is warm, isn't it? So wouldn't he be forced to have to go with a transfer option so that um, he could potentially win big next year rather than doing a mini rebuild? That's an interesting way to look at it. I Honestly, I, I hadn't. Because I, I personally, I don't think that he is on, you know, any kind of pressure, which I say today, 24 hours before they played Pittsburgh, you know, we, the, the world could look completely different tomorrow than it does today for Notre Dame football. It's sort of a week to week thing. But I think that the reason for taking a transfer quarterback, one, yeah, winning is the most important thing. But I think the reason for winning or the reason for doing it is is less about like his own future and like whether he's on the hot seat or not. Um, and more just about like he suffered through the 2022 season with the rest of us when Notre Dame essentially couldn't play offense and he doesn't want to go through that again. I think you'd be silly to take or accept maybe some of the narrative out there that like, oh, they, they love Angeli and Minchie to the point that like, you know, this doesn't say anything about them. Of course it does, because if you felt like Steve Angeli was the next Trevor Lawrence, then you would not probably go this route. We'll see, I guess, what level of transfer quarterback they take. We're not living in a world where people are grad transferring not to play. 
it does happen someplace. Spencer Sanders at Ole Miss is an example. He was a starter at Oklahoma State, did a grad transfer to Ole Miss, hasn't really played much there. Uh, I believe he's played four games, so he may be preserving that year of eligibility. So who knows? Spencer Sanders might be Notre Dame's uh, quarterback next year. But um, I don't think that Freeman's in a position where he has to win now to sort of save his own skin or sort of turn down the temperature on whatever, you know, the seat he's in. I just think he's like, look, I don't want to suffer through non, a non-offensive season again. And like Notre Dame offensively, running back, tight end, wide receiver, they should be pretty good, but that all falls apart if you don't have a quarterback who can get the ball where it needs to go. So I don't think Freeman's in a spot where he should feel like he's under pressure. New AD, I guess it depends on rebuild too. Is rebuild eight and four? Yeah, maybe you could live with that. Is rebuild six and six? Then you cannot. Then then you are under immediate heat a year from now. Um, and I guess just sort of betting on a quarterback who's never played a college football game doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think that Freeman probably after going through the Buckner Pine experiment of a year ago, probably feels the same way. All right. Ed J wants to know, do you think that if Notre Dame continues to take older transfer quarterbacks, it will eventually hurt high school quarterback recruiting if recruits don't see a path to playing time? I mean, it's an interesting perspective and I, and I appreciate it. I, you know, has Lincoln Riley suffered in recruiting quarterbacks because he kept, took Caleb Williams and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield? Not really. You know, it's like Ohio State took Justin Fields. They still have recruited just fine at quarterback. Eventually, maybe you would get there if you had done this five or six years in a row. But um, it's, a, I think, a pretty straightforward recruiting pitch of, like, we took a transfer quarterback because the guys we had on the roster hadn't developed in the way that we wanted them to or at the speed we wanted them to. We don't feel like you're that guy. CJ Carr, or we don't feel you're that guy, Deuce Knight. I mean, it's interesting to me in some ways, like Notre Dame's quarterback recruiting is as healthy as, you know, any point in the last 10, 12 years. You know, they took Jack Cohn three years ago, Sam Hartman last year. So that's two of the last three seasons that um, they've had a grad transfer quarterback. Doesn't seem to be impacting players at the, in the high school level. So you know, offensive coordinators are going to change. Quarterback coaches are going to change. Um, you know, Freeman's really only on, I mentioned Jack Cohn, but like Freeman didn't have anything to do with that. Freeman's only taken Sam Hartman. And I think you would also like, if, if a high school quarterback can't understand why you want to add a four-year starter, three-time captain, and guy with 110 career touchdown passes to your offense, maybe they're not getting it in Notre Dame in the first place. Because um, that's a pretty pretty straightforward reason to do it. All right, next up, and a reminder, if you can hop in the queue to ask a question that way, I'll call you to the stage. Um, makes it all a little bit more interactive, but uh, I can also take questions in the chat. And we've got Andrew G. next. He says, why aren't we hearing about a contract extension for Al Golden? Notre Dame Media seems to think that he's moving on after the year. Shouldn't we want a year three with Golden? Yes. Yeah, Notre Dame should want a year three with Golden. I do think contract extensions for assistance don't really – hold a ton of weight. Tommy Reese was under contract. He had just signed a new contract and left for Alabama a year later. He almost left for Miami a month later after signing a new contract. So for assistant coaches, they're able to sort of move around freely. Should Al Golden get a raise? Yeah, I think he's definitely earned that. But Notre Dame doesn't really, considering how little we know about Marcus Freeman's contract, we know even less about 
Al Golden and coordinators other than the tax returns and you find out that they were paying them 1.75 or 2.1 or 1.4. That's about it. Would Marcus Freeman want Al Golden back? Yes, 100%. Would Al Golden want to come back to Notre Dame for a third year? I think that generally he's happy here. If you get an opportunity to be an NFL defense coordinator or a college head coach, though, those are opportunities that I think you move on for. My point here is like, if they announced, which they wouldn't, but let's say they announced a contract extension for Al Golden, that would not preclude him from an uh, NFL defense coordinator position or a college head coaching position. So you wouldn't agree to a contract like that if you're a coach. Your agent wouldn't let you do it. Uh, but I do think that, like, look, Al Golden's probably on good terms with Notre Dame. Al Golden and Artis Freeman share an agent. Pretty li- clear line of communication there. But, yeah, I think if you can get Al Golden back for – the third year, even with a defense that's rebuilding a little bit, you certainly are going to do that. Daniel K, in your mailbag, you had a hot take that Michael Gilbert is, would be wide receiver one over Cam Williams. What do you see in his game that has you feeling that way? Well, I for sure, I've seen Cam Williams live, and I was super impressed. Um, he's long, and he's explosive, and he's bouncy. I think what is going on with Michael Gilbert, though, is like he's got a physical presence to his game that not a lot of high school kids do. And I know that the staff, privately, they feel really, really good about him and feel like this is a guy that just is, I don't want to say come in and play right away, but he probably will get an opportunity to do so, that he will get a chance to really come in and be a physical presence at that position where it's, it, look, it's hard to be a physical presence as a freshman. There, there aren't a lot of guys that are put together that way. When they've had um, camps, they've been very, very impressed. None of this should be taken as like, well, they don't, do they really not like Cam Williams? I guess it has more to do with how much they love Gilbert. So I think he's, he's the guy that um, I can probably keep an eye on uh, moving forward. Next up in the chat is Luke F., and Luke F wants to know if Notre Dame managed to make it to a New Year's Six game, could Sam Hartman sit out for NFL draft reasoning? I don't have much of a measure on sort of Sam Hartman's mentality there or like what he would be looking for. I would think he would play. We're not talking about somebody who's going to go in the first round of the draft next year. My hunch is that he would play. It'd be sort of a new opportunity to play in that that type of game. It's like he's how would I put it? Like he's played against Clemson before, but never played against Clemson as Notre Dame's quarterback before. And it's just different when you do that um, to play in the Ohio State game or play in the USC game. It's just a different stage to play on. I think Hartman needs those opportunities and, and craves those opportunities. So I, I would think he would go. But if you're Audrick Estime, do you play? No, I don't know where his head is at with that. Uh, you know, it's Notre Dame is sort of they're not immune to. Mayor Foskey, Kyron Williams, Kyle Hamilton. And like from that group, we're talking about a first round pick, two second round picks and a fifth round pick. Running back sitting out, I think sort of makes sense based on the nature of the position. But what quarterback sit out, who's probably a day three pick or a day two pick? I Probably not. You know, also a captain if that, if that matters. Although again, Foskey and Mayor and Hamilton and Kyron Williams are all captains as well. All right, I'm going to go to the queue. Next up is Andrew R., Andrew R., you're up next on the Shamrock Five. Hey, Pete. Uh, thanks again for doing these. These are awesome. Um, real quick question. Um, why hasn't um, the offensive line has generally been fair to middling? I think we've, we've been disappointed at times with it. Mm-hmm. 
why hasn't, I'm just thinking back to Jeff Quinn took it on the chin in terms of like from the fans, how uh, I think, I believe it was the 21 season, um, 2020, 2021, where we just were not happy with him and the offensive line. Joe Rudolph hasn't really, you know, really taken any heat at all, mm-hmm. um, at least from, from, the, from the fan base, it seems like. Why is that? It's an interesting point and a fair one, too, because I, I think Joe, not that Joe Rudolph's got a pass, but I don't know. If he hasn't taken any heat, maybe you feel like he has. Yeah, Jeff Quinn was here. In 2018 to 2021, as the offensive line coach, they went to the college football playoff twice, um, you know, and went 11 and two another year. So it's not not terrible. I think that with Quinn following Harry Houston was just about impossible. I also think the search for Jeff Quinn was pretty well known as like a bit farcical, where they're going to do this search and bring people in, and they're going to have player feedback, and then and they're just going to hire Brian Kelly's buddy at the end anyway. So I think that was part of it. I mean, Joe Rudolph's resume far superior to uh, Jeff Quinn. Like Wisconsin's offensive line lineage is incredibly impressive. What happened at the end where he went to Virginia Tech for a year, I think we could say, you know, did he have some responsibilities taken away at Wisconsin? He just need a new, a new look. I, I don't really have an answer on that one. But I think the offensive line still has a – like they have a chance to take a step forward here in the last four weeks. I think that in some ways, maybe, and I don't know why this is, um, why the fan perception of this is, I almost feel like the fan base, if anything goes wrong with the offense, it comes back to the coordinator and Parker more than it gets to a position coach. I'm not entirely sure why, like Northern receivers have not been overly dynamic this year, but I, don't think a lot of that comes back to Stucky. For some reason, that seems to flow to Parker. Again, I'm not totally sure why the perception is what it is with that. But um, I think with Rudolph, at least, the difference there between Quinn and probably the reason he doesn't hasn't picked up much flack this year is just like the resume is one where like this guy knows what he's doing. Has it clicked on at Notre Dame incredibly well? I wouldn't say that it has. Um, I don't think the line has been bad. I just don't think it's been great. I suspected at the beginning of the season that this line had a chance to be great. Uh, is not not really hit those levels. They've had good moments. Like I thought the Ohio State game was a good moment for them. But they did some good things in the first four weeks, or at least three of the first four weeks against lower-level competition. But, you know, what happened at Duke, what happened at Louisville, and were kind of disastrous um, in terms of the entire operation, picking up pressures, protecting Sam Hartman, getting the run game going, and played – much, much better against USC. So I think it, it's probably that factors into it. Like they played pretty well against Ohio State, played just legit well against USC. And I think that sort of makes the difference to kind of help maybe change perceptions a little bit. You know, and that sort of gets Joe Rudolph maybe away from some of the, the criticism that might come otherwise to an offensive line coach. All right, next up, Stephen O. I'm calling you to the stage here on the Shamrock Live. I think I can hear you. Stephen O, can you hear me? Okay, so my question was about uh, Freeman and the roster management. Do you think that he's done a poor job in terms of handling the number of wide receivers and the experience that he's had? We only went into the summer with nine scholarship wide receivers, and 
about a th- half of those were freshmen. So do you think with Caleb's, with the older Caleb Smith retiring, that Freeman was negligent in not getting another guy in the summer, uh, considering the lack of experience and just the injury mm-hmm. history of the room? I think once you get into the summer, it becomes, I think, really difficult to, to add at the point uh, if you're in Notre Dame's position. I don't know if I would say that he was negligent there. I, I, if they hadn't picked up Caleb Smith, I would have said that, yes, that would have been sort of roster mismanagement. The Caleb Smith situation, like that was a productive college receiver that just totally flamed out when he got here. You know, so now they're back to back to the 10 scholarship receivers. If you include Jordan Faison, which technically now you, you have to. So it's like they signed receivers in the freshman class. They took a grad transfer. They took a preferred walk-on and phase-on. So it's like really they added six receivers to the roster. That's how bad of a situation it was for Notre Dame. You know, in next year's cycle, they'll add another three. They, in my opinion, should go out and try to find an older grad transfer to take as well because the roster is just so upside down. Uh, right side. I'm not sure which one would be which, but um, just in terms of how many younger guys there are, and there's no experience old. You need to really find an older, an, the old version of Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech, but make him somebody more like Jamari Thrash, who ended up at Louisville, or any of the three receivers that ended up at Colorado. Like they need somebody like that to come in, who is older, who's seen it, who's sort of been through it, and go there because it's like you look at the roster, what it may look like last, next year. Matt Salerno would be gone. Chris Tyree, I think, will come back. Deion Colsey has been so banged up. You wonder, like, what's in store for him. Jaden Thomas would be there. Tobias Merriweather would be back. You know, but in the freshman class, they love Greathouse and Flores and Faison. I think the jury is very much out on sort of James. Uh, Caleb K.K. Smith has been hurt all year. Um, It's really hard to get a read on him. So I don't think that Freeman made a mistake not taking a, a transfer in the summer just because, like, you look at the transfers Notre Dame are taking, most of the time it's somebody you're taking after the season in December, January, so they can show up uh, mid-January to be part of one of the workouts. Sometimes it's somebody that you take in the spring that shows up in the summer. I'm trying to – and if you've got an example of this that I'm completely spacing on, just put it in the chat or, or hop back in. I'm trying to think of – Examples where Notre Dame identified a transfer and wanted to take in the summer, and then he was on the team in the fall. Like, surely there has to be an example of this. I'm just sort of spacing them at the moment. So we'll see. It. Uh, I I do think they need to obviously sign the three guys they got and take a grad transfer, even if they're because they will obviously lose Salerno, could lose Terry, could lose Colsey, could lose another guy. We'll see how it goes. But I, but I wouldn't put that on Freeman for last summer. I would have put it on him if they didn't take the original Caleb Smith at all. Question from AV. Beyond the need to add a transfer quarterback one more time in 2024, do you think they'll be able to add a safety transfer, especially if Watts considers the NFL? Even if Watts comes back, Henderson hasn't taken a big step up. Carter is transitioning to safety and hasn't played at all. And Schuler and Minnick will be young with no experience in 24. I would take a safety in the portal. I would take a defensive end in the portal. I'd take a quarterback in the portal. I'd take a receiver in the portal. If you told me Notre Dame did that, which I think is 
somewhat ironic in fact, and I take a kicker in the portal. Pretty much if you just took all the positions you took in the portal last year, if you took them again, I think that would be a smart move. Safety is like, I, I wonder how much Watts, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's had a few good games, a one out-of-body experience um, on national television game as well. You know, does he want to make, can he make the move now? Does he come back for a fifth year and like put some more on tape? I don't know. I'm, I'm with you on uh, Ramon Henderson not taking a leap. It's kind of hard to know what Notre Dame has in Antonio Carter. And then after that, you skip all the way down to Don Schuler and Ben Minich. It's, um, that's not an ideal situation. And then like Bronte Johnson from Fort Wayne is more of a high school wide receiver. Notre Dame likes him at safety. And to Brown Benny Powell, Again, is kind of an athlete. Kennedy Erlocker, kind of an athlete. I don't, I don't know if any of those guys come in ready to go. So yeah, I would even if Xavier Ross did come back, I would still take a grad transfer safety because um, maybe it's somebody like Thomas Harper, you know, who can help you in nickel and help you in sub packages. All right, reminder: if you want to hop in the queue, you can ask a question there. Otherwise, you can just post it in the chat. I'll go to Greg F. Greg F. wants to know, what are the odds the Irish play Clemson at noon a week from tomorrow? Well, it's I mean, pretty good because it's either going to be noon or 1230. And so you sort of look at the games that are on the, the national college football schedule for next week. It's it's a pretty loaded week. But you've got you know, Notre Dame at Clemson, Bedlam, probably that's your big noon game. So that's on Fox, Ohio State, Rutgers. I realize Rutgers is not big, but the Ohio State audience is massive. You know, Ole Miss A&M, when do they put that on? Obviously, uh, you've got the night start already set. LSU, Alabama, and an afternoon set, uh, kickoff for Missouri, Georgia. Those are both top 20 games. You know, so maybe you want to start in Washington. USC is night as well. So it's a it's a pretty jammed day already. You know, I my hunch would be you would put Notre Dame Clemson on at noon against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And then the, in the 3.30 window, you've got the Missouri-Georgia game on CBS. And maybe that goes against, you know, Texas A&M, Ole Miss on ESPN. Maybe Fox picks up Kansas State, Texas to follow Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. But pretty good chance that, that we all get a noon start a week from now. Obviously, that would probably serve Notre Dame well to get into its bye week and serve, serve its uh, media Media press corps well as well. All right. Tim K says, is it Schroedenfrada better for Michigan to win their first outright title in seven years only to have it vacated? Or is it better for them to be banned from the postseason and not get the chance at all? I guess it means, depends on what you mean. You know, what would a Notre Dame fan base prefer? I think definitely the latter. To be denied a chance to even play for it, which is hard for me to get my head around. But for that to happen would be, to me, that would be wild for that, for Michigan not to play a whole season. Its head coach was already suspended for a few games, but then to play the whole season and have it taken away at the end. I, I do wonder a little bit, like, would the Big Ten say, like, you're ineligible for the Big Ten championship game? As we all know, you can make the playoff without being a conference champion. Uh, that's been proved many times over. That seems like maybe I wonder if that would be a middle ground. I don't know. But for Notre Dame to be banned from the college football playoff, or for, for Michigan to be banned from the college football playoff now, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, you know, but then they, whether they retroactively take the title away a year from now, I guess that's possible. But by then, 
the roster's turned over. Probably your head coach has turned over too after how this season has gone off the field. So kind of harder to say. I think that, but like if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think that you would you would prefer for Michigan to be denied the chance to play for it at all, opposed to have it taken away uh, retroactively. All right, next in the queue, Ryan B. I'm going to call you to the stage here on the Shamrock Live. I see you, Ryan B. Go ahead with your question. Just in more of like a micro standpoint, um, what do you see um, Notre Dame's like offensive game plan being um, the next couple weeks? Do you think that they kind of want to establish like a deep ball um, on offense that's been missing um, since the beginning of the season? Or do you see them kind of leaning on Estime in the the running game to um, uh, power the offense? Based on the answers from Marcus Freeman this week, when I asked him about, Hey, like what, what do you need to do offensively against Pittsburgh? It's kind of an emphasis similar to what Brian Kelly's was when I played Pat Narduzzi. It's like, how do we get the chunk play game going through the air? Because that has really dried up over the last few weeks for Notre Dame. Um, I've written about it a bunch of the athletic, but, uh, just Hartman's kind of inability to hit balls of 20 plus yards. Um, first four games, he was nine to 12 for 374 yards and six touchdowns on throws that went 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Second four games, three of 16 for 110 yards and two touchdowns on throws of 20 plus yards beyond the line of scrimmage. That is um, a huge drop off. It's not like they're trying it really any less, uh, but they've been so much less efficient with it. I I am quite fascinated by the lack of play action that Notre Dame's been able to find or have success with. I don't – because it's like you look at Hartman's game, you would think any player of his experience level, like what a quarterback would see play action as like, it doesn't get much better just in terms of how you see the open field, how you set yourself up for to have success than to hit play action shots. Notre Dame is basically a 20% play action team uh, and Hartman on play action passes is only 19 of 41, which is under 50% for 368 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. The fact that he has a similar, basically the same yards per attempt, play action, non-play action, the fact that he's way more accurate non-play action, just straight drop back pass game opposed to play action. That is totally baffling to me. I do not understand it at all. I do think this is an area where Notre Dame needs to take a big step forward in the last four games of the season if they're going to actually win all four of them is to get Hartman more efficient in the pass game. Maybe not the level he was the first four game, but it's got to be better than what we've seen over the last four weeks. Like, look, Pittsburgh... Clemson will be a very difficult challenge defensively. Pittsburgh is sort of an interesting animal uh, coming tomorrow because it's like if you look at their pass efficiency defense, they're 97th in the country. They've got you know, 10 touchdown passes, five picks. So it's not like they've been picked apart, but in terms of like the overall efficiency, it's been fairly low. And yet, like was Hartman amazing against USC in terms of pass efficiency? I would say no. And USC is 115th in the country in pass efficiency defense. So that makes me a little concerned when you go to Clemson a week from now and they're ninth in the country in pass efficiency defense. Who are they behind that you might know of? Duke is eighth in pass efficiency defense. Notre Dame is fourth in pass efficiency defense. 
Ohio State is second in pass efficiency defense. I think we would all agree that the Duke game and the Ohio State games were were not great Sam Hartman nights. So Clemson is going to be another test like that. Pittsburgh really shouldn't be. And yet you look at what um, USC from a week and a half ago, I don't think Hartman necessarily was like completely on it at that point. If you're curious, Stanford is in the middle in the 60s in terms of pass efficiency defense. And Stanford is the worst power five team in the country, uh, pass efficiency defense at 130th overall. They're ahead of only Temple, UMass, and Nevada. Next up, let's see, we'll go Glenn G. J. Is our record causing us to whiff on top 25 ranked players? Uh, I don't think so. However, I guess it, it would be fair to say that, like, look, if Notre Dame was sitting here, it's seven and one with a win over Ohio State. That that would be the kind of result that might move the needle a little bit um, in terms of top prospects. As it stands, they have five top hundred prospects on twenty four seven Sports. Um, you know, on threes rankings. I think it's it's fairly similar. I think what you're asking is you know the, the top twenty five overall prospect. Like that's. That's a little bit trickier for Notre Dame. It has been for a while. Um, you know, it's a question that goes back to the Brian Kelly era, right? You know, how do you do a better job of closing on the top, top guys? I'm not sure that Notre Dame has has an answer for that. Um, they have a head coach who's, you know, recruits his, his butt off and, like, does a really nice job of it. But it's, it's tricky that way. I, I just don't think that they're – you're running into players at the top of the heap that are maybe – not as interested in your academic four for 40 pitch because if you're a five-star prospect you're seeing yourself as a first round pick now like you're in a position there where like maybe the, the academic pitch doesn't quite land the way that it would with somebody who's a little bit farther off the top of the food chain there so if Notre Dame was undefeated i think the recruiting class would look different at the end because when what's the best recruiting class Notre Dame has had in the last 20 years it's the 2013 class which was built as the 2012 season was happening. A season like 2012, which for these intense purposes means you beat Ohio State, that's how you end up. And like I realized that Greg Bryant did not hit here and Max Redfield did not hit here. Torian Folston was good, but you know, not a game-changing running back. But like that's the kind of season you need to have to get prospects like that sort of in bowl. I guess I'd have to agree that the record probably impact recruiting. I don't think it's the one reason they're whiffing on top 25 players, but if Notre Dame was undefeated in the center of the college football universe, I think you would see maybe a, a, a wider net being cast in terms of prospects who are making football first decisions, looking harder at Notre Dame. Andrew R says, Pete, if Notre Dame had done what Michigan's apparently been doing with the stallion scandal, what would the internet have, would the internet have spontaneously combusted? Uh, probably, probably would have. A Notre Dame scandal uh, gets reads and clicks like no other. Um, so yeah, that that would be a tough one, I think, for for Notre Dame to come back from. Don't really want to imagine Notre Dame having to come back from it. But as Marcus Freeman sort of animated yesterday, like everybody's doing some version of this. Michigan was just doing a allegedly a illegal version of it um, against NCAA rules. So that's uh, that's a different level. If you're not trying to get your opponent's signs, you're not really trying. But you got to try within the rules. Uh, we'll see how this shakes out with Michigan uh, moving forward. So 
All right, we'll do, uh, we'll wrap up there uh, for this episode of the Shamrock Live a little bit shorter this week. I will talk to you all next week before Clemson. Should be a lively discussion of that as Notre Dame goes on for its biggest game of the rest of the season. Thanks again for everyone being part of the show. I will talk to you next week. Enjoy the game on Saturday for Notre Dame versus Pittsburgh.